Okay, so I am lying in bed on a fair amount of drugs. Oh. So this will be fun. Yeah. It's the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I'm Emily Nagoski. I'm Amelia Nagoski. And we are social distancing, so this yeah. is being recorded via Zoom. Mm-hmm. Like everything. People. Yeah, just yeah. like the entire world. Yeah. Um, coronavirus, hear- right? Yeah, so you can hear the traffic in my house, and my I'm sitting in my kitchen, so it's kind of boomy, and that's uh, that's why it doesn't sound as good as it usually does. Sorry. Yeah, that's just going to have to be the way it is. But the thing I want to talk about this week is why people hate social distancing and uh, how to help them not hate it. Great. And I want to talk about it from a pretty nerdy perspective, and your job is to Tell me whether or not I'm saying it in a way that anyone would care about. I can do that. Okay. So, soon certain positive is what it boils down to. We uh, shift our health behaviors according to the consequences of a specific behavior based on three variables. Time, certainty. You need to, you need to make that into like four separate sentences. None of that was interesting? No, none of it was interesting. It was just like a lot of words, and each one meant a lot of things, and you had to understand all of them in order to understand it all at once. So, like, just give us one thing at a time. All right. Let's, let's begin with an example. Smoking. Why do people smoke? Because when you are a smoker, like you're addicted to nicotine, you know for sure that as soon as you take the first drag off of that cigarette, you will definitely experience an intense hit of pleasure that your brain is now convinced it requires in order to stay alive. Certain and positive. positive. Immediate, positive, and like guaranteed to happen every time you have that cigarette, right? Yeah. Even though, so it's a a thing that's bad for you in the long term, but in the short term, oh, Right. In the long term, the consequences are you might, 30 years from now, die of emphysema. Which is not soon, and it's not certain, and it's not positive. Right. It's like very, 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 very negative, but it's not for sure, and uh, it's extremely far away. So So it has less of an impact on your decision-making today. So having a cigarette is more motivating than, than all of the work it takes to quit. Yeah, and I like to think about these three variables as like when you see a painting of a landscape or a photograph of a landscape, the trees in the front of like a woods forest landscape look much bigger than the ones that are far away in the background. But those trees in the back, are they actually smaller? No. No. They just look like that because they're so far away. Okay. So now we've had a perspective and an art metaphor. So say that complicated sentence from the beginning again. Humans make choices about their health behaviors based on three variables, time, certainty, and valence. Oh, it made so much more sense this time. Did it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's pretty easy to understand with smoking because oh, we... I want to add that valence is positivity or negativity in terms right. of affect. Is it, is it rewarding? How rewarding is it uh, negatively in, impacting us? How negatively? Mm-hmm. So it's easy to understand when it comes to a behavior like smoking. We know for sure that when a person's addicted to nicotine, it is so rewarding to their brain so instantaneously. The reason it's so difficult to quit is you have to make of this cognitive choice 
to ignore how uncomfortable it is not to do the thing your brain is like, you know, if you do this thing, you will immediately feel better. You'll feel better right now if you just do this thing. You know how shitty you feel right now? If you just do this thing, you'll feel better. And you have to be like, I don't want to die of lung cancer or emphysema. Dang it. And our brains are not programmed to value goals that are a long time in the future, non-certain, non-specific. Exactly. So social distancing is like that, where it's extremely effortful for a lot of different reasons in a lot of different ways. It requires a massive overhaul of your entire life, really. And for what? Yeah. You have quit smoking. Yes, I did. Was it hard? Eh. When I tried to quit smoking, it was hard. When I ultimately did quit smoking, it happened by accident. Oh. <laughs> because the last of my friends who were smokers moved away. Oh. Yeah. So okay. I'm, not a, I'm not a good Not a good example. example. For like, you didn't have to like set yourself a goal that was soon certain, specific, concrete, positive, and personal. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I just needed all of my friends who were smokers to leave town. And I had no one to smoke with. Right. And no one else around me was a smoker. And I just didn't smoke anymore. Yeah. One of us. One of us. Yeah. And my mental health was sufficiently bad that the withdrawal from the nicotine really just like couldn't get its voice heard over the sound of the depression and the anxiety. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so this is not helpful or like, a, yeah, like too social distancing. Experience. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to make it like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say also, I continue to have periods of craving nicotine and wishing I were a smoker for mm. almost 10 years. Wow. Yeah. I quit in 2006 five or six. Wow. And it was only a few years ago that I stopped having a craving for nicotine. Wow. Damn. Yeah. And Rich said he would leave me if I ever started smoking again. It's like the only <laughs> thing I could do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so that, that's a nice, like concrete, specific, immediate <laughs> guaranteed consequence of yeah. having a cigarette. <laughs> Fair enough, you know? Yeah. So uh, social distancing is difficult because it's extremely effortful, it's very uncomfortable, and there is no obvious benefit. We will right. never know how much good we do. We will never meet the people we didn't infect. Right. Or from whom we did not get an infection. Yeah. And thus we'll spread it. Or know if we might have gotten sick. We will never know if we might have gotten sick. And yeah. we're going to be in this situation for a very long time. Yeah, at least another month. Continue. Definitely at least another month. So when people are struggling, I recommend making a grid. I think the grid is in, is it in burnout? I think it's in the book, yeah. Matrix, where you it put, is. you make yep. a sort of like four squares on a sheet of paper. Yeah. And uh, one square is marked good things about making the choices I'm making right now. So good things about social distancing. And then another grid is not so good things about social distancing. Then you put good things about not social distancing and not so good things about not social distancing. Yeah. And in the good things about social distancing, things like time for household projects that I've been intending to do, or time with my family, or know that I'm contributing to making life a little easier for the emergency medical workers, the people I am in principle not infecting. Like there's a lot of, what are some good things about social distancing? I am not the right person to ask because I really enjoy it. Yeah, you like the alone time. I like everything about it. I like not having to go out. I like not having to be near people. I like not being expected to touch anyone. 
I like being alone. I like being isolated. I like everything about it. I am not a good person to ask. All the things that other people find difficult, yeah. I find very easy. It's like my whole life has prepared me to rock social distancing. Yeah. Sorry. I'm Are not there any not so good things about it? Is there anything you miss? I miss, I miss my rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> no. But that's big. Missing your rehearsals, like that's a major part of your life. Yeah. Early on, when it was first decided that we weren't going to have any more rehearsals this semester, we're not having our concert, I had a period of grief and mourning over that loss. It was very personal and and intense loss. Um, But, you know, time heals all wounds and I'm okay now. So for a lot of people, this like not so good things about social distancing is going to be a long list. If you live with your kids, a lot of people are overwhelmed and exhausted by the demand of caring for their kids at the same time that they're trying to like do their jobs in their house. Yeah, because it takes a village to raise a child and we no longer have access to the village. We no longer have access to the village. Yeah, Yeah. it's very fucked up and broken. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what's going to happen to these kids in terms of education. They're losing a third of a year of school. Like, what? Not yeah. to things about social distancing, missing out on talking to your friends. For a lot of people, not having parties and not going out and meeting your friends is a really, really big loss. Oh, yes. Particularly for people who live alone but are not introverts. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people live alone, and this is a, a difficult situation to be in. For a lot of people, social distancing is hard oh, because right. they really enjoy, need time with their friends in person. Right. Yeah. And even uh, as a person who really liked living alone and lived on my own for a lot of time, a lot of years, my one of my primary motivations for finally deciding to like fucking date and try and meet somebody was that I didn't want to die alone. <laughs> yeah. Like I was very much looking forward into like decades into the future. Yeah. Being like, so like I need to create a change so that by the time I die, there'll be somebody there whom I like and trust enough to be around when they die or when I die. Yeah. Somebody Uh, to call 911 when you fall in the tub. Exactly. And so who's going to call 911 if you have coronavirus and can't walk from your bed to your bathroom? Mm -hmm. Like it's got to be you doing it all for yourself. That's a really big deal. That's really hard. So, I mean, that's the stuff that goes on not so good side of social distancing. Yeah. And on the other hand, there are people who live with roommates who are not family um, who are barely friends, who maybe didn't see each other hardly at all before this started. And is this now a, a relationship that you're going to turn into a trusting, supportive one for somebody who's going to take care of you if you have a fever of 103 for nine days? Yeah. And you know, I have read a bunch of articles online. Apparently, people are really struggling with like, how do I be in a house with people all the time? <laughs> Like, people are genuinely like, how do I resolve conflict if no one can leave? Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, is a little bit alarming to me. hmm Because how you... Yeah. Because, like, as though leaving would resolve it, but it would give people space and time to sort of get over their feelings. And also people are so overwhelmed by a lot of feelings already because right. there is sort of just large-scale amorphous fear and anxiety about a threat that exists in the world, that the only way we can escape it is to entrap ourselves. 
that can cause some feelings. Yeah. When you've got that many intense, big feelings just hanging like a cloud over everything you do and say, yeah, I can imagine that would make conflict more difficult to resolve. Yeah. Especially if you're early on and learning the skills of communicating about emotions and needs and stuff and boundaries. In my 20s, I absolutely had the experience of like letting my stress about something else bleed over into my roommate relationships. That definitely happened. Did you really? Gee, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I never witnessed that. From Except like for when I like kicked your door. Kicked my door and made a made hole. Made a hole, yeah. A hollow a corridor. <laughs> Letting your stress from other things bleed into your, yep. So, so I, I have sympathy for that. And this is like an enormous amount of like sort of existential dread piled on top of everything else yeah. that makes social distancing really difficult. So we're talking about the not so good things. But what are the good things about not social distancing? This is going to be you get to see your friends. You get to like get some yeah. space from the people. You get to like get to go. we're talking about your kids. We get to go to school and you get to have childcare oh. and yeah do a job that you maybe like and are invested in or feel satisfying to you. Yeah. Or see a partner whom you can't see now because you don't live in the same place. Earn the money that you can't make now because your job is not essential. Yeah. Go and shopping we- for a thing anytime you want and not feel afraid that you're going to end up coughing on someone and accidentally killing them. Yeah. These are all good things about oh, not social distancing. Well, that's actually a thing about like, not having corona, not of there not being right. coronavirus. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, still just being able to like shop for whatever. The freedom to go out. Yeah. When you need a thing, just go and not have to think about it. Yeah. And then there are the not so good things about not social distancing. Coronavirus. No. Getting... Not so good things about not social distancing. The consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Risking transmitting coronavirus to someone yeah. else if you're an asymptomatic carrier contracting coronavirus yeah. when you're out there in the world and then bringing it home to the people that you live with and putting them at increased risk. Getting sick, making your family sick, um, ending up as part of the problem, clogging up the healthcare system because yeah. you're one of the people who got sick and now some doctor has to deal with you. So I feel like when we look at this structure of like good things, not so good things, good things about a different choice, not so good things about a different choice, like Social distancing doesn't actually look very good in this profile. No. The good things about it are pretty limited. The not so good things about it are really intense. And the not so good things about not social distancing are all these very uncertain, very delayed. Mm -hmm. uh, And like how much of a difference does it actually make that I today do not like go to the park and hang out with four other people I haven't seen for a month? Right. How, how, how important is that really? How bad could it really be if I just did that one small thing? And the thing is, it's like voting. It's not about, no, like your individual going to the polls and voting, like it's just one vote. You had to go out of your way to do something that is not very much, but your going out of your way to do something that's not very much is part of a larger system in which everyone is going out of their way to do something that individually will be not very much, but accumulates into something really massive. People do not enjoy being part of a system. Right. We are not built 
because our brains are built to assess behaviors, especially around like our health and well-being, in mm-hmm. terms of like when is my reward coming for this? Mm-hmm. How intense is that reward going to be? Mm-hmm. Negative consequences are they very far away? Then I don't so much care. And yeah. they want it to be concrete too. They want it to be like immediate and happen right in front of my eyes or inside mm-hmm. my body. And yeah. none of the good things about social distancing are like impactful in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Except for weirdos like you who just yeah. like you were born to be socially distant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I posted on Facebook like the very, maybe the second or third day of isolation. I posted on Facebook. Is this what extroverts feel like all the time? Just like, the world fits them and everything's easy and you get to be exactly who you are and whatever makes you comfortable. And I just have so much more energy and ability to focus. Is that what extroverts feel like all the time? That must be amazing. And what did people say? They, I got a lot of, yep. Mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> and some like, yeah, I've, I've, I'm an extrovert and I'm isolating and I, I'm going nuts. Is this what introverts go through all the time? Are you this uncomfortable all the time? Yes. Yes, we are that uncomfortable all the time. So let's talk about the nature of that discomfort. Mm -hmm. Um, It relates to, if people haven't listened to the Little Monitor episode, please listen to the Little Monitor episode because that has a lot to do with what we're talking about here. Or it's Um, chapter two in the book. Yeah, chapter two in the book. And we have- That's um, how important it is, is chapter two. We kind of put things in order of like what you need to know right now to feel better. The stuff you have to know right now. Yeah. Step number one, separate the stress from the stressor. Mm -hmm. Complete complete the the stress response cycle. And then learn how to manage your monitor. Here is like sort of your goal state, but your goal in terms of like your basic- temperament, personality, biochemistry. How are you wired? What are your basic needs? And if one of your basic needs is you must receive energy from other people or you just feel bleh, like you gain energy being with people and being isolated drains your energy mm-hmm. and you literally cannot get that connection right now. Mm-hmm. And I talked to an extrovert recently and I, she told me about like all the things she was doing, the like virtual happy hours and she does live with her mm-hmm. partner and she yeah. like walks down the street and can see people in the park mm-hmm. even though she doesn't interact with them and I was like is that enough does that give you the thing that your extrovert body is looking for and she was like no <laughs> <laughs> none of that is the same as like real connection like socialization physically in person none of it is the same wow. so when your sense of connection is not being met your little monitor is in pursuit of like meeting this goal and it's constantly being frustrated, constantly being frustrated, constantly being frustrated, cannot reach its goal. So this is the time when I'm gonna talk about the force swim test versus the shuttle blocks. And we're now in chapter four. For those of us following along in our books. (laughs) Yeah, do you wanna talk about the shuttle blocks? Sure, Uh, this is part of the research into learned helplessness. And they've done this test on, let's talk about rats, because it's, fine to think about a rat in a box with a floor that is... You know, a lot of people really find it uncomfortable to think about animals helplessly being trapped in these situations. Okay, so, so let's go ahead and talk about Colin Firth. Yes, exactly. So we, let's talk about Colin Firth. We talk about Colin Firth in the book instead because he he's going to swim later and that's why. So, okay, Colin Firth, poor Colin Firth, is in a box. He has agreed to be in there and he knows what's coming. He knows that the floor is electrified and uh, he doesn't like it. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't actually hurt him. There's no real risk to him. So we're going to 
shock Colin Firth's feet and he knows he can get out. There's a door right there and he runs to get out and yay, uh, he was in danger and now he has removed himself from danger. He did a thing that resulted in improved circumstances and his nervous system now knows that he can rescue himself from an uncomfortable situation. So let's put Colin Firth in uh, his natural habitat, which is swimming. It's not actually his natural habitat. He does it in Pride and Prejudice. He does it in A Single Man. Uh, But that's not necessarily where he wants to spend all of his time. So if we put him in a tank of water and he swims and swims and swims and he's looking for a place to land so he can stop swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming and he can't find a place to land and he can't find a place to stop and he can't find a place and he keeps swimming and swimming and swimming and his monitor, remember, is looking to achieve this goal of getting out of the water, being able to stop swimming. And it gets more and more frustrated and so tries harder and harder because when you get frustrated, you get motivated at first, right? And so you work, he works harder and harder trying to swim, trying to find a place to land, trying to get off out of this forced swim test. He wants to get out and he's like, he's like I'm sure I can do this. I, there's got to be a place. And he swims and he swims and eventually his little monitor starts to go a little berserk. And he's like, am I ever going to be able to find a place to stop swimming? Am I ever going to do this? And at a certain point, his little monitor is going to switch its assessment of the goal from being attainable to being unattainable, and it's going to push Colin Firth off an emotional cliff into a pit of despair. And if Colin Firth were a rat, what happens, the physiological cue that this has happened, is that he just goes limp and floats there to save energy until such time as there might actually be some hope for being able to get out. It's mm-hmm. called the force swim test because the rat's forced to swim and they do a lot of experiments where they try to see how long the rat will continue swimming before it gives up. And that's the measurement of how, not just how persistent they are, but how knowledgeable they're, how sure, how confident their nervous system is that their actions can get them out of an uncomfortable position. Right. So when the, uh, this mechanism in the brain becomes convinced that nothing he does is going to make a difference, it shuts everything down. Mm-hmm. And the, this is the uncomfortable part. When Colin Firth has gone through this forced swim test experience, what happens next is if we like dry him off real good and we put him back in that shuttle box with the mm-hmm. electrocrowded floor, we bzz, zap his feet, the door opens, and he doesn't even try to get out. Because what his body has learned that no matter but like as if he was still in the water and no matter what he does he will not be able to get himself out his intellectual brain his awareness of his world his frontal lobe all the decision making things that are conscious in him know look there's a door right there i could get up but his body doesn't know his nervous system down in his bones feels hopeless he has learned that he is helpless so when a person is craving social connection When these extroverts are like just longing, hungering for that kind of real social connection. Swimming and swimming and swimming. They're swimming and swimming and swimming and they cannot get that need met. They're going to try and do all the things that they've been told to do to be able to get that social connection. They're going to do the video hangouts. They're going to like spend time with any physical partner they happen to live with. They're going to go outside, go for a walk and try to maintain that social distance, but their body's going to want to go be with those people because it's a mm. hunger, it's a craving, this longing to go be in a place that's going to give your body that energy, right? Yeah. And the more you put obstacles up, the more your brain's going to get frustrated. So now on top of your sense of loneliness, you've got this sort of like frustration 
which gradually builds up into anger and rage and ultimately this hopeless despair that you'll ever be able to do anything. And these two emotions, isolation and helplessness, are the most toxic things a person's brain can experience. So if people are struggling with social isolation, I really get why. Oh, yeah. All the brain science is very much on the side of social isolation, this whole social distancing, not allowing us to connect with each other is inhuman in the most literal sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You um, talked about the way that the craving for social connection as a hunger, and it literally is um, a kind of a nutrient that we need connection yeah. with other human beings. If it's we, a drive, we will die without it. Yes. If we, if we don't get social connection, it is a form of starvation. Yeah. And there have been very dark experiments that I'm not going to go into any depth. Yeah, let's not um, do that. Because it's so difficult. Things are hard enough. <laughs> but basically, if you, if you trap a mammal in helplessness and isolation for long enough, it will just shut down for yeah. maybe forever. Yeah. So what we really, really need is to make sure people do not get locked and trapped in a sense of isolation and helplessness. Yeah. And if they do, like, they need to recognize, I, you and I are both introverts, and mm -hmm. we live with our partners. Yep. So, Is an introvert? Mm -hmm, he's more of an extrovert than any of us. Yeah. He needs some interaction. But so he's the one who goes out and buys the groceries. Yeah. So, so if you are an extrovert, and you live entirely alone, and your body is just like going berserk, craving this yeah. connection. Yeah, that's real. That's and real. you're absorbing some damage every day. And that's not, I, I'm not going to call that terrible. That's part of the cost that every human is paying right now. Yeah. That's you doing your part, absorbing a little bit of harm. A sacrifice you're to, making for the greater good. Right. In order to make life a little easier for the ER medical staff. Exactly. In order to flatten the fucking curve. All of us are pushing with all our might against this motherfucking curve. Mm -hmm. And it's doing more damage to some of us than to others. Yes. People with pre-existing vulnerabilities of any kind, just as the virus is more destructive to people with pre-existing vulnerabilities in their immune system, flattening the curve, social isolation, social distancing is going to do more damage to people with pre-existing vulnerabilities, if they already have mental health issues, depression, anxiety, if they're extroverts who just require connection. Yeah. If people who were already one paycheck away mm -hmm. from financial devastation, yeah. I mean, that paycheck has gone now. Yeah, there it is. So yeah, it is costing all of us something. Yep. And Financially, biologically, mentally. Right. Yep. Emotionally, socially. Neurologically, like our brains are in a very bizarre state. And it's, it is also literally true. Yeah. Like that's, okay. yes, that's what's true. That's what's happening right now. I think that deciding that this is the new normal is the wrong move. I think that we have to allow ourselves to stay aware of the gap, the chasm between how things are now and how they ought to be. Mm -hmm. And as we know from the Mad Woman episode, when there is a chasm between where we are and where we feel we're supposed to be, that can make us bananas. It can make us feel 
self-critical. It can fill us with rage to attack somebody else. It can be a cause of depression. Because there's a part of your mind that's, that's always observing that chasm below the level of your conscious awareness. Some part of you is always looking at the chasm and deciding whose fault it is that there's this gap here. Is it the world's fault for being broken or is it my fault for being broken? And it's a thing that psychology did wrong for a long time of suggesting that people who lived in oppressed states adjust to their state of oppression. Exactly. That that was the way to mental health issues. The kind of like sick you get when people are oppressing you, as gay activists put it. Mm -hmm. So... (sighs) For a lot of people, the feeling of being trapped, not allowed to leave the space that you're in is also traumatic. Oh, yeah. We haven't said that specifically yet, and I just wanted to make sure that we include that. Physical entrapment can be can feel like trauma. It yeah. is a trauma. It is a trauma, yes. Being trapped in a space, even if it's a place you would choose to stay, the fact of having the choice to leave taken away from you Exactly. It's by itself, an injury. Yeah. That's being inflicted on you. Yeah. And like, let that be true. Let that be like, this is doing damage to me every day. Yeah. So and if yeah, you're, like you if you're fighting the harm. If you're finding it difficult, if you feel a lot of intense things, if you're just on the edge all the time, there is a reason. It's not that you are weak or pathetic or just unable to deal with it. You, you know, how dare you, you pathetic thing. Not, you can't handle this, whatever. We're just asking you to stay home. It's no big deal. It, it is a big deal. And at some level, your body knows this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. And it's telling you all the time. And it's correct. It's not right. It's correct. This is not right. But this However, is what there is. This is the choice. It's what it is now. And it stays this way. Yeah, for, for, for as long as it takes until there's a cure and or a vaccine and or an antibody test that teaches us who can go out back into the world and like all the other things that have to happen that we have to give science time. Yeah. To, to and probably your nervous system, your body will never get to experience a cathartic thing that tells it you're safe now. Yeah, definitely you're not. You're going to have to definitely give it that not. experience. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to like cross a finish line physically that makes you feel like, whoa, I'm done. No, yeah. you're going to have to give it a finish line to cross to feel When they make safe. the movie of COVID-19, yes. there's going to be the scene where everybody sort of wanders days out. out of their houses and like applauds and cheers and hugs. And that's Hugs-y not other. how it's going to work in real life. We're not no. going to get like a thartic no. moment of blissful, like, yay, we did it. Go America. Yep. That is never going to happen. We are in phases gradually going to be able to ease restrictions here and there. We'll probably have to bring the restrictions back periodically. It is not going to be satisfying. It's going to be agony, slow, with just like little bits and pieces of joy and freedom reclaimed. So this is a a lot of very high, very real cost Mm -hmm. with very low perception of reward, even though the reward is tremendous, but literally people, saving lives. Never feel yeah. the reward. Feel the reward, yeah. Right. So what do we do about that? Eat chocolate. <laughs> is that wrong? <laughs> is that wrong? Did I get it right? Was <laughs> that the answer? I think it, uh, that is actually part of the, I think pleasure, <laughs> joy, yeah. like just like really wrapping yourself around the joy of being alive 
-hmm. is one of the main things that we can do. Mm -hmm. A celebration of the pleasure that our bodies have access to mm -hmm. needs to be a regular practice, whether it's daily or weekly, you need to set aside time for just joy and pleasure. Yeah, and I think also suspend any judgment you would ordinarily feel about indulging in things that you would not ordinarily indulge in. Oh yeah. And greater quantities that you might not ordinarily indulge in. Because you're being tortured with isolation. And let's face it, if you can like sort of ease the pain of that daily torture, with yeah. like eating something delicious. Yeah. I mean, Do we got to get know. through this. Yeah. It is a long-term situation we're in and obviously like only eating chocolate Ch rice crispy treats. No. <laughs> is Yes. You also need to eat vegetables. That's also going to do harm in the long term. Yeah, eat, exactly. eat a vegetable every day. Is, yeah. Yeah. yeah eat a vegetable every day. Yeah. But and um, can count your drinks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Seriously, measure count pace. Uh, alcohol sales have increased enormously. Yeah. Um, people are drinking more. They're drinking Much more. more frequently and they're drinking Large more of the day. And not everybody like has been trained how to drink responsibly. Yeah. Um, and there is, there is a method of responsible drinking. Didn't we talk about responsible drinking? Definitely we did. did yes. In the numbing episode. In the how so to numbing episode. Yes. Specific instructions on how to drink responsibly. Yeah. And also how to, how to uh, eat your feelings. And how to eat your feelings responsibly. Yes, yeah. exactly. So if you're like really suffering and you need to know how to like numb the pain, we yep. have a whole episode specifically about that. How to do that. Yep. And there's also the process of separating the stress from the stressor, right? Mm -hmm. So like you can't solve the stressor. You will, you're not going to be like, if there's anybody listening to this, who is the person who's going to solve coronavirus, mm -hmm. this does not apply to you. Yeah. But for everybody else, that person is going to have a eureka moment yeah. where the work that they're doing solves the problem. And even, the rest of us. even for that person, they're going to have the eureka moment. And then it's going to take three months of yeah. like clinical right. trials yeah. and FDA approval. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're like going to have a moment and then they're going to have months and months of let's make sure it works. So probably all of us probably need to separate this thing that's causing our stress from our body's experience of the stress. Yeah. And make sure you're doing something every day to complete the stress response cycle. I think that's literally our first episode. Strategies to complete the stress response cycle. And I'll tell you, I did not follow this advice. And uh, for like two weeks, I didn't exercise like at all. Oh. And you know what happened? I threw yeah. my back out. Oh. I have been in bed for four days because oh. I spent two weeks sitting in my desk chair sitting on the couch yeah. and lying in bed. Yeah. I was still horseback riding at least. Yeah. Yeah. And then I fell off the horse. Yeah. Last time we talked, we shared like, what's a good thing that happened today? Because that's an evidence-based strategy for, yeah. you know, feeling better. Uh, and my thing was like, well, I went over this thing and I didn't fall off. And then the very next week I fell off. <laughs> yeah. So that's fun. So my back has also been a problem, but it's yeah. mostly healed now. Yeah. Mine... Mine's getting there, but, but like, this is what happens when I don't follow my own goddamn advice. Like, <laughs> we're right about this shit. We are correct. Yes. So, like, physical activity, single most efficient strategy for completing the stress response cycle, yeah. necessary for keeping you, like, together. Sleep. Uh, 
Yes. Maybe now is the time that a lot of people can finally get the sleep their body has been craving. But um, that is not a good combination if you're also drinking more because the yeah. alcohol can interfere with your sleep and the yeah. sleep is more important than the numbing. Oh God, yes. Sleep is number one. If you do only one thing, let it be the sleep. Mm-hmm. If you do two, let it be sleep and... Physical activity. Well, maybe sleep and feelings. Sleep and feelings. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then physical activity. It's a close call. It depends on the person. Yeah. So, and no, none of these things, like, ends coronavirus. None of these things like gets N95 masks to medical workers and EMTs, right? Mm -hmm. But it helps to keep you stable and sane and functioning human. So that you can do your part, which is to stay the fuck inside. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not an easy thing to do for almost anyone. Yeah. It is really hard to... Can it feel meaningful? Like we have to make a deliberate effort to frame our self-care as a necessary part of what we are contributing to the cause. Us keeping ourselves fully functional, doing our work, raising our children, keeping our body whole and healthy is part of what we're doing. That's actually one thing that I really like about the Randy Rainbow video about social distancing. Yes, which we'll put a link in the the notes. Yeah, he used the song, I Will Go The Distance from, from Notre Dame. I will social distance. Because that whole song is about, I will go the distance. I'm going to do this noble, big, yes. important thing. He and it's it. like, it, he just nailed it in the song choice of like both the overall affect and the meaning of all the words to be like, I'm going to do this important thing. I'm going to watch Netflix and I'm going to do home manicures. And that's me saving the world. But it, it really is. I know but he nailed it. He nailed it. He nailed yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Good job, Randy. Yay. That's my favorite one maybe of all his songs. Yeah. Because of that combination of it's exactly the right song, yeah, with exactly the right energy and exactly the right lyrics, yeah, and with, like the, is. enough blame of Trump of the reason we all have to do this is because it was all mismanaged so terribly, yeah, like it and, didn't uh, have to be this way. But we can put in this filler that uh, Amelia had technical microphone issues, so she might sound different now. It's only been thirty seconds. <laughs> okay, <laughs> zoom, yeah. So the, it's a perfect song. I'll put a link in the bio because it didn't have to be this way. I was saying that um, he probably is an individual who needs to remember that doing these small things that are still quite uncomfortable yeah. are, are really important. Because the same day he posted that song, he said he was going to be in Portland, Oregon, singing <laughs> with a choir. And I was like, no, man, you are not. That is totally not going to happen. You're totally not. You're totally not. No. Yeah, because Oregon's going to be reaching its yeah. peak right around then. Yeah, and also singing in a choir is a super spreader event. Y- yeah. Yeah. Things that require you to, like, breathe more and make more sound. Yeah, and you and open your mouth produce, wide. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. No. no. You, yeah, it's a lot of breathing. It's a lot of droplets. <laughs> Traveling distances. Those yeah. droplets can go the distance. Yeah. When a person's singing. Yeah. Bad. So, Did you, anyway. you read about the choir in Washington State? No. Yeah, they had one last choral rehearsal before all the, everything shut down. 60 singers came to the rehearsal. 45 of them got sick. Two of them died. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I 100% would have had that rehearsal. That's the choice I would have made. Because that's what you do as a musician is you, you have rehearsal and you show up. The show must go on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally would have had that rehearsal. That would have been me. Yep. I follow a YouTuber called The Organized Soprano. Mm-hmm. who was in rehearsal for an opera mm-hmm. and they were up to their dress rehearsals. Yeah. 
she went to that last dress rehearsal. Of course, because that's what you do. Yeah, and the show got shut down. And I wonder, because by the time she was doing that, like, it was already, like, Massachusetts wasn't shut down. She's in Massachusetts. She's in Boston. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it wasn't shut down, but by my opinion, it should have been. Yeah. So she has not yet talked about whether anybody in the production production was sick. Yeah. So, but yeah, you would have had that rehearsal and... Yeah. 45 people got sick out of 60. Two of them died. Yeah. Yeah. So singing in a choir, yeah, super spreader event. Hey, Randy Rainbow, thanks for that social distancing song. Please do not perform. Please social distance. We fucking need you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We need you to stay home and make those videos by yourself. Thank you. Yeah. You, meanwhile, have been uh, writing a song also about social distancing, yes? I did. I did. I did. And you're going to record that separately so that we can have high quality sound. Yes. And also, it was a project. Um, My husband played the piano because he is an excellent pianist and uh, needs stuff to do. Yeah. (laughs) Needs a project. And also, he's much, 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 much better than I am. So it'll be a a higher quality performance in general. Excellent. Yeah. So it's to the tune of From a Distance, you know, the Bette Midler song from the, what was it? The world looks blue and green. Exactly. So it's all about how the world, I mean, the affect of that song is all about from a distance, the world looks so great. And so my version is about how great it is to be an introvert and to be able to just like rock social distancing. Yeah. And like, I'm so sorry, extroverts. I know you're suffering. It's a sacrifice. I see it. But man, I love this. Your version is is a niche song. Yeah. But I think, there, you know, it's a perspective think, worth hearing. I think there's three people in the world who are going to hear that song and go, yeah. totally. Me too, girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is going to be like, um, that selfish bitch <laughs> wallowing in her, you know, rolling around in her, her like Scrooge McDuck pool of money, except my money is my enjoyment of isolation. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Is actually so, one of the lyrics. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Shall we conclude with uh, one good thing that's happened in the last 24 hours? Uh, sure. What's one good thing that happened in the last 24 hours? Well, I recorded the social distancing song already, and it came out pretty good. Hooray! And I did. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get the sound to balance and like using the only decent microphone I have in a room. I mean, the piano tuner was scheduled to come like the week after the shutdown was ordered. So obviously piano tuning is not an essential service. No. So the piano's a little bit out of tune and kind of wonky sounding. Anyway, I, I did, I put in some effort to try to make it like, you know, not junky sounding. And it turned out, you know, as good as it possibly could have considering the circumstances. Well, excellent. Yeah. And also, my husband's a very good pianist, and it's very fun to sing with him. So that's fun. Yeah. So uh, with that, let's uh, uh, conclude. Wait, you have to say a good thing. Oh, oh, uh, a good thing that happened for me. Um, I was able today to get out of bed and work for three hours. Hey, hey. Whereas uh, for the previous two days, I could do very literally was lie in bed and watch Parks and Recreation with occasional <laughs> five-minute attempts to get out of bed so I could pee. And like, you know, the thing where you have to like roll and you get one foot out of the bed. Oh, oh yes. I'm very familiar with that process. So today, I've been doing that most of this week too. So 
<laughs> the fact that uh, I could get out of bed and it does it takes less than five minutes for me to get out of bed. Hey, hey. Actually, like I can feel the improvement daily and I'm on the upswing, the men with my back being out. And now I have learned my fucking lesson. I'm sorry, Maylon's making I'm, lunch. So <laughs> that's fine. Oh no, he's feeding the dog. So it's a little noisy for the minute, but like that's what's going on. So I have learned my lesson and yes. uh, I am going to get more physical activity so that my back doesn't uh, spend most of a week telling me, you need to move your body, crazy lady. Yeah, you've got dogs to walk and an elliptical machine. and Yeah, like I totally, and I got yoga and I got all kinds of things. Yeah, and a yard to run around in. So now I'm Yeah, now you're motivated. Soon certain specific is going to be, you're definitely going to have less back pain. Yeah, exactly. Okay, this has been another coronavirus episode of the Feminist Actual Literal Survival Podcast 2020. Literal Survival. Yeah, you can follow us on the social medias at FSP 2020. And we hope you found this helpful, especially if you've got extroverts in your life who are going up the wall. Yeah. This is not the new normal. This is the new abnormal. And we're just going to tolerate it for as long as we have to because we're saving the world. And we're also hear making... Lucy licking her food. No, I can't hear Lucy licking her food. And on that note, here is Amelia's coronavirus song. Social distance, the world is fluky and introverts rejoice. Social distance, we all stay back six feet and no one hugs when we first meet. Social distance gives us a short reprieve from the pressure to conform to expectations from extroverts who come into close proximity. Social distance, I know it's hard for most but for this once it's easy for me you are so bored so swamped with anxiety you give a sacrifice i see social distance sorry not sorry just never knew what it felt like to live with all the space I need. Social distancing, social distancing, introverts rock this thing. Social distance. Thanks. That went great, right? That was fun. Thank you, dear.